Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 130 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I am flying solo on this week's episode of Chalk Talk. As some of you guys know, like a couple weeks ago, I had a computer crash during the episode. I've been having continual computer problems. Uh, so a little bit of a weird show this week. Mark is traveling unable to line up there. I'm having computer issues. Uh, hopefully we will be back at 100% next week. Uh, but I wanted to hop on the mic and give a briefer week 10 recap show. The Philadelphia Eagles don't play, so it's the bye week there. Uh, but there were a lot of games to get to. So I'm going to run through these games and give my thoughts on some of these specific games, some big picture ideas as we transition into the back half of the season. And then starting next week, we'll be back in that normal podcasting routine, having Mark on the show, broadcasting live on Tuesday night. So without any further ado, let's jump in and talk about Thursday night football. Not a game that I was terribly excited about uh, with Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers traveling to Chicago to take on UDFA Tyler Badgent and the Chicago Bears. Not a very exciting primetime game, not one I was hyped up to watch. Uh, the Bears emerged victorious in this game, 16-13, to 13, uh, as UDFA quarterback Tyler Badgent tops number one overall pick Bryce Young in a game that was huge for the Bears' quest to control the number one pick in the draft. Now, the Bears own both teams' picks by virtue uh, of that draft day trade where the Panthers traded up to number one from number nine for Bryce Young, and they gave up this year's first-round pick and they gave up DJ Moore. It was a massive haul for Chicago. Uh, and Chicago is likely, they're in great position to have the number one overall pick, to throw their hat into the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, or to hold some team hostage if they decide they want to continue with Justin Fields, which seems unlikely at this point. But winning this game uh, kept the Panthers tied for the worst record in the NFL. And then with the uh Kyler Murray's return to Arizona and their win. Now the Panthers have the only one win record in the NFL. So they would have the number one overall pick that would belong to Chicago if the draft were today. Uh, Bryce Young finished in this game 21 of 38 for 185 yards. He threw three straight incompletions at the end of the game as the Panthers tried to get back into field goal range. Um, Tyson Badgett goes 20 of 33 for 162 yards. Not exciting quarterback play in this game whatsoever. Not much going on the ground. 2.7 yards per carry for Carolina, 3.6 for Chicago. This was an ugly offensive game. Uh, you could say the defenses looked good. I suppose a lot of defenses look good against these offenses. But uh, for the Bears, trade, line, trade deadline acquisition, Montez Sweat had a really good game. He had eight pressures. He hit Bryce Young twice uh, and uh, ultimately kept him off balance for the majority of the game. The one thing of note in this game, and it's not a big not a big thing that's really impactful for the season, but, but it is a cool career milestone for Adam Thielen, who became the fifth UDFA in NFL history to have 600-plus career receptions. So he only trails Danny Amendola, Rod Smith, Wes Welker, and Antonio Gates on all-time receiving lists for undrafted free agents. So the Bears walk out of the Thursday night victory 16-13 to over Carolina. And if you guys are watching live here, be sure and drop some comments. I can interact with you guys. 
uh, more so than even normal uh, because Mark is gone again this week. So, uh, you know, we'll be a little conversational where we can, and I'll get you guys through all of these games so you know what happened. So let's go on to the early game in Germany. This was the Indianapolis Colts, uh, not at the New England Patriots, but versus the New England Patriots in Frankfurt, Germany. The Colts entered this week as the only NFL team to score 20 plus points in every game they've played this season. And that streak was broken. Uh, but even though that streak was broken, they did win to get back to 500 on the season. And so uh, big news there for the Colts, who technically uh, they are in the playoff hunt. Now, I don't think it's ultimately going to happen, but they could technically make the playoffs here. They are in that hunt at five and five. Uh, their lone touchdown in this game was a fourth and goal run, fourth and goal on the one yard line late in the first quarter. Jonathan Taylor broke the plane for a touchdown and it ended up being the only touchdown in the game. Uh, Gardner Minshew was shaky in this game. The Colts were outgained at 30 or 340 yards to 264 in this game. Gardner Minshew was 18 of 28 for 194 yards with one interception. However, Mac Jones was shaky as he continues to be 15 of 20 for 170 yards, one interception. He took five sacks. The interception was horrendous down four in the late fourth quarter. It was a terrible interception. He had a wide open Mike Gusecki running into the end zone and he underthrew it by literally like seven yards. I don't know what happened on that throw. Uh, it led Bill Belichick to bench him for the final drive. And of course, Bailey Zappi responded with a, uh, interception to seal the Patriots' fate. Uh, the stat you need to know for this game is that New England went 0 for 4 in the red zone in this game, and they only put up six points. They lost 10 to 6. After the game, Bill Belichick was asked about benching Mac Jones, and he said he thought it was time to make a change, and that's why he put in Bailey Zappi. He did not commit to a starting quarterback for next week. I really think we're looking at the end of the Mac Jones era here in New England. There's been a lot of uh, being disgruntled with Mac Jones from Bill Belichick. Some of it extends from hubris, uh, being upset with Mac Jones last season for seeking help outside the building when he appointed a special teams coach and a failed defensive coordinator as the co-offensive play callers. Some of it is justified in what Mac Jones is as a player. Um, Mac Jones is clearly just not it. He's not the guy you want as a starting quarterback. He's accurate and he just doesn't have creativity and he doesn't have the best decision making at times. And he needs things to be perfect around him to succeed. And things are certainly not perfect in new England where the Patriots are off to an two and eight start, the worst start in the bill Belichick era or tied for the worst in 2000, his first year, the Patriots were also two and eight. So everything's going wrong in new England. I think it's the end of the Mac Jones era. I think the end of this season will be the end of the bill Belichick era and we'll see what they do moving forward. But this offense certainly is not doing Mac Jones any favors in their skill position players, nor their offensive play calling. Okay, let's go on to the next game. Uh, we have the Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens, and this was a crazy game. Uh, Cleveland ends up winning this game 33-31, to and they did that despite making a ton of mistakes in this game. Um, there, there were so many mistakes that they made in this game. Um, they muffed a punt. They had a, they had four third down penalties that gave Baltimore first downs. 
the Ravens were up in this game 14 to zero before Deshaun Watson completed a pass, unless you count completing that pass to Kyle Hamilton, uh, the Baltimore Ravens safety. So uh, rough start for Cleveland mistakes piled up. They trailed by 14 in the fourth quarter and it seemed like it was over, but they battled back with the aid of a defensive touchdown off of a deflective pass that Greg Newsom ran back for a touchdown. Uh, Deshaun Watson came alive in the second half. His numbers don't look outstanding, 20 of 34, but in the second half, he was 14 of 14 passing for 134 yards and a touchdown with a plus 18.2 completion percentage over expectation. The Browns' defense has been so good this year. If Deshaun Watson can play at a top 12 quarterback level, the Browns could be really hard to stop uh, down this key stretch pushing into the playoffs in the AFC. As for the Ravens, the Ravens have spent the third least amount of time trailing in the first 10 games of a season in the last 40 years. And everyone else on that top five list is 10 and 0, but the Ravens are seven and three and they continue to lose games that they should have won. They've lost four games in the last two regular seasons with Lamar Jackson as a starter they had, or excuse me, they lost seven games in the last two regular seasons with Lamar as a starter. They had at least a 75% win probability in the fourth quarter of every one. They had a 90% win probability in five of those seven games, and they continued to melt down in the fourth quarter and lose these games. Now, they do have uh, some excitement around Keaton Mitchell, who's a UDFA running back. He has 14 touches in the last two weeks, and he only had one touch before that. And four of those 14 touches have gone for 30-plus yards. He ended today with 66 yards on four touches, three carries, and one reception. And so Keaton Mitchell is lightning in a bottle, and yet the Ravens have dropped another game. And so they're at 7-3. and three. Cleveland moves to 6-3. and three. The Steelers are right there. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But the AFC North is a logjam of teams this is going to be one of the most exciting divisions it and the AFC South probably to see how they play out down the stretch. So let's go now to Houston, uh, excuse me, to Cincinnati where the Houston Texans beat the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals 30 to 27. Uh, Joe Burrow has been on a tear the last two weeks as his calf looks more healthy. And even in this game, he goes, 27 of 40 for 347 yards and two touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions, and yet he didn't look like the best quarterback on the field with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud goes 23 of 39 for 356 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He generated eight passing plays of over 20 yards, as the Texans' offense as a whole had 17 explosive plays in this one. Now, Stroud did fumble twice in scoring range, uh, Stroud did throw an interception inside the 10, or excuse me, he threw an interception uh, as the 10-point lead was erased, but then he navigates them back down the field for a game-winning field goal. And for the second week in a row, C.J. Stroud has engineered a go-ahead drive to win a game. He leads the NFL in passing yards per game at 291.8 yards per game. He's the first rookie to do that since 1939. And if the season ended today, the Texans would be in the playoffs. Not only that, but the teams they are ahead of, teams that we would have thought would be in the playoffs and the Bengals and the Bills, they have the first and fourth hardest strength of schedule remaining 
The Bills just fired their offensive coordinator that we'll get to in a minute. While Houston has the 29th most difficult strength of schedule remaining. I think the Houston Texans are going to make the playoffs. Now, obviously they dropped that game against the Panthers a couple of weeks ago, and that one could come back to bite them. It's the Panthers only win. It's a game that Houston shouldn't have lost. And yet it's hard not to feel good about Houston's chances to make a run here and get into the AFC playoffs, which would just be outstanding for a team with a first year head coach that was picking at the top of the draft a year ago. So shout out to the Texans for what they've been able to do to D'Amico Ryans, to Bobby Slowick for what they've been able to do in their first year. As for the Bengals, they created opportunities early in this game. They had two early turnovers, uh, but they were unable to capitalize on them. They had four consecutive three and outs spanning the end of the second and beginning of the third quarters put together. Uh, Tyler Boyd dropped a wide open, would have been touchdown. And Houston ends up outgaining Cincinnati by 164 yards in Cincinnati against Luana Rumo's defense that has made Patrick Mahomes look mortal and, and CJ Stroud look so good in this game. It's incredible what he's been able to do. Uh, he deserves every bit of the recognition he's getting and MVP talk that is swirling around him. Uh, Noah Brown had a career high 172 yards receiving in this game, which topped his previous high of 153 yards last week. And so he joins CeeDee Lamb, Tyree Kill, and Justin Jefferson as the only players with back-to-back 150-yard games this year. So it'll be interesting to watch this Houston offense and see if they are able to continue playing at this pace moving into late November and December. Okay, let's go to Jacksonville, where the San Francisco 49ers were coming off of a bye week. They were coming off of three consecutive games uh, that they lost. They took their bye week. They got healthy. They get Debo Samuel and Trent Williams back, and it made a huge difference uh, as the offense finally played a clean game. Brock Purdy was 19 of 26 for 296 yards and three touchdowns, but most importantly, he had zero turnovers. The offense for San Francisco actually played well on their three-game losing streak, but it was turnovers that killed them. Like, the success rate was there. The EPA per play was there. They were moving the football, but it was turnovers. Turnovers was killing this team. Well, there were no turnovers in this game, and the Jaguars simply had no answer. The Jaguars played big nickel, which is three safeties on the field, 24 times versus the 49ers. They had not done it all season prior to this game. And they may never do it again after how it worked out. Brock Purdy was 10 of 12 for 180 yards and three touchdowns against Big Nickel. And they had 12 carries for 65 yards. And so Jacksonville's answer defensively didn't work. The 49ers didn't turn the ball over. It was the Jaguars who continued to turn the ball over. Trevor Lawrence had two interceptions, although one was a fourth down prayer. So maybe we don't count that one too much. He had a fumble. Christian Kirk fumbled inside the 10. The Jags had eight turnovers in the five-game winning streak prior to this game, but their defense forced 12. This time, the defense couldn't cover up for the Jaguars' offensive turnover issues. The Jaguars have lost a league-leading 57 expected points on turnovers in opponent territory this season. It's the most in the league by far. The league average is 24 Today, the Jaguars lost 16. They almost lost, they lost two-thirds of the league average on the season today. Only two teams have more than only two other teams have more than 30 
uh, expected points lost on turnovers in opposing territory. The Jaguars are almost double that at 57. The Jaguars have got to stop turning the ball over. They've got to establish the running game. They only had three successful runs on 15 running back carries. Travis Etienne had nine carries for 35 yards. The Jaguars offense was just all out of sorts against a very good and very hungry 49ers defense. The other thing from note, the thing that if you've listened to the show, you know we've been talking about over the last few weeks uh, is that Christian McCaffrey scoring streak. He entered this game at 17 consecutive games with a touchdown tied for Lenny Moore or tied with Lenny Moore for the longest streak in league history. And McCaffrey was unable to score in this game, despite playing well into the fourth quarter in a game that was over, by the way. Um, Perhaps a bit of record chasing there by the 49ers and it didn't work out. And so that streak is broken and Christian McCaffrey will remain tied for the league lead uh, instead of first place. Okay, let's move on to the New Orleans Saints at the Minnesota Vikings. And this game was sort of a tale of two halves. Minnesota wins this game 27 to 19. And uh, the Josh Dobbs show rolled on early in the game. Uh, the pastronaut, as Mark termed him last week, I don't think it was original to Mark, but the pastronaut diced up the Saints defense to build a 24 to 3 lead. Then the offense bogged down in the second half with three straight three and outs that kept New Orleans in it. But Kevin O'Connell and Josh Dobbs continue to make magic happen. I love watching this pairing of coach and quarterback. Kevin O'Connell should definitely be in the running for coach of the year for what he's been able to do with Justin Jefferson injured, with trading a sixth round pick at the deadline for Josh Dobbs in a seventh, and then being on a two-game winning streak. The Vikings continue to win games. And they have the longest active win streak in the NFL at five games. All five came without Justin Jefferson. Two, three, I think two of them have come without Kirk Cousins. This team is rolling offensively. And if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs. Meanwhile, on the Saints side, Derek Carr exited this game with a shoulder injury and a concussion. And Jameis Winston entered the game and he did what Jameis always does. He made some incredible big plays. And he threw two interceptions and one of those sealed the game as the Vikings win 27 to 19. Minnesota had 12 defenders generate a pressure in this game with Brian Flores's all or nothing uh, max pressure, max coverage sort of approach he's taken on defense. And they limited New Orleans to 280 yards and four of 14 on third downs. So Minnesota, once again, they are in the playoff race. I think they're going to be that seven seed in the NFC. Uh, obviously, you've got Seahawks, 49ers. One of those teams is probably taking a wild card. Uh, you've got Eagles, Cowboys. One of those teams will take a wild card. I think Minnesota is going to end up with that last wild card spot. And so uh, I'll be really interested to see if they can continue this hot streak down the stretch. Okay, now let's go to Pittsburgh, uh, where the Pittsburgh Steelers faced off with the Green Bay Packers. And they win this game 23-19. to 19. And Pittsburgh has an incredible streak. They've been outgained in every single game this season. They've been outscored by 26 points, but they are 6-3 and three and in the thick of the AFC playoff race. And even the AFC North race at 6-3, and three, they are the first team to have a winning record through the first 10 weeks of the season, despite being outgained in every single game. I don't know how they keep doing it, but they continue to do it. 
Their running game is getting on track. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris combined for 183 yards, and they each scored a touchdown in the first half. They ended up, excuse me, they, they combined for 183 yards. They each scored a touchdown in the first half of the game. I think that's what I said, but I worded it weird. Anyways, uh, this game came down to the wire. Uh, the Steelers were leading the game by four, and on the final two possessions by the Packers, they drove into the red zone before Jordan Love tossed interceptions on both possessions. And so Jordan Love ends 21 of 40 for 289 yards and two touchdowns, but with two very costly interceptions as the Packers, who were my preseason pick to win the NFC North, they started out okay, but they're three and six as they drop yet another game. Uh, and the Packers are very much bottoming out. Honestly, at this point, it's probably in the best interest of the Packers to continue to lose football games and try to position themselves to get a quarterback because it's becoming pretty apparent that Jordan Love is not the answer for the Packers moving forward. Okay, let's go on to Tampa Bay where the Tennessee Titans came to town. Uh, the Bucks went from three and one with their only loss being to Philadelphia to dropping four straight before they rebounded Sunday and they took down the Saints. Now the Saints aren't the most important, excuse me, the Titans. Now the Titans aren't the most impressive win. I mean, they're three and six on the season now, uh, but Baker Mayfield looked good in this game. He went 18 of 29 passing for 278 yards and two touchdowns. He did throw an interception. He took three sacks, but he played steady football, and he did it without the benefit of a running game. The Tampa Bay running game is atrocious. Uh, Rashad White had 20 carries for 51 yards. Chase Edmonds, four carries for nine yards. There's nothing going on in the rushing attack for the Buccaneers, but Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, they were able to connect. Mike Evans has six catches for 143 yards in this game. He's well on his way to another 1,000-yard season. He's never failed to have a thousand yard season in his career and in what is likely his final season in Tampa Bay he's already well on his way to that thousand yard season again on the other side of the ball the Tennessee Titans uh, their offense is a mess Will Levis struggled against a team that let CJ Stroud set the rookie passing record a week ago now his stat line only shows one interception it could have been several more he had several dropped interceptions uh, he was blitzed on 57% of his dropbacks, and he was constantly under pressure in this game. Now, he did handle that better than expected. One of the things I noted on his scouting report coming out was that he was constantly under pressure at Kentucky, and he handled that pressure poorly. And I did note that it could have been because of a foot injury that he was dealing with. Maybe that was the issue with his footwork and with his taking sacks. And the more I watch him play, the more I think maybe that's it because he's looked remarkably better uh, playing this year under pressure than he did a year ago at Kentucky. And so uh, Will Levis, the Titans have the rest of the season to figure out what they have in him. I don't know that they're going to be in position to be bad enough to get a quarterback uh, in the draft. So they may be stuck with Levis moving forward. So we'll see how he pans out over the rest of the season. Uh, the other thing is Derek Henry couldn't get anything going in this game. He had 11 carries for only 24 yards, 2.2 yards per attempt and so without a running game uh, asking will levis to carry this team is probably too much to ask of a second round rookie okay let's go on to arizona where kyler murray made his return to the arizona cardinals and 
in his first game back from an ACL injury last year, it's been nearly a year, like 330 plus days since the injury. Kyler Murray looked electric. He led the Cardinals on a game-winning field goal drive in the final 150 of the game, including a great scramble you've probably seen the highlights of on a third and 10 to move the chains. Uh, He ended 19 of 32 for 249 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown. He didn't throw an interception. Uh, He had six scrambles for or six carries, I guess I should say, for 33 yards and a touchdown. So pretty good game on the first game back on a very untalented roster for Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. It's great for the Cardinals seeing that Kyler looks good. You want to see what he looks like in this offense. Decide if you're going to keep him or move on. Unfortunately, I think Kyler's going to make this team too good to end up with a top three or four picks. So in an ideal world, Kyler would look great. You would feel good about him as an organization, and you would still end up with a top two or three pick to maybe go get an offensive lineman or Marvin Harrison Jr. or leverage a Drake May trade for a ton of picks moving forward. I just don't know that that's going to be the pathway for the Cardinals, who I think might be too good with Murray to go on a losing streak like that. On the other side of the ball, Taylor Heineke was 8 of 15 passing for 55 yards, uh, three sacks. He only had one attempt over 10 yards, and then he exited in the fourth quarter with a hamstring injury and was replaced by Desmond Ritter. Uh, The QB carousel continues for the Falcons. Uh, The Falcons averaged 2.9 net yards per pass play against a Cardinals defense that's one of the worst in the league. And so things are in bad shape in Atlanta. Uh, Arthur Smith can't figure out how to get this offense going, and it's going to cost this team a shot at the playoffs. The, the, The Falcons are falling out of the playoff race because of the total incompetency they have at the quarterback position. One other performance worth noting, worth shouting out in this game, is Cardinals tight end Trey McBride, who had eight catches for 131 yards, which is the most by a Cardinals tight end since 1970. The best one was a 33-yard completion with under a minute remaining that did help set up that game-winning field goal. So excitement in Arizona. Hopefully they can be exciting and yet continue to lose football games for their draft capital's sake. Let's move on to Los Angeles, where the Detroit Lions faced the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, The Lions won this game 41 to 38. Uh, And the play of this game, you can't talk about this game without starting at the decision by Dan Campbell with under two minutes left. It's a tie ball game, fourth and two from the 26-yard line. The Lions can kick a chip shot field goal and then try to play defense, but instead they went for it. They picked it up, and then they iced the game by kicking a field goal as time expires. Rather than giving the ball back to a red-hot Chargers offense that had scored a touchdown on five straight drives, I thought it was a fantastic decision by Dan Campbell, a decision that he would have been killed for if it didn't work out, and yet it did work out, and it's the reason Detroit won this game. In this game, teams were a combined 7 of 8 on fourth downs. The Lions even called a 4th and 5 run in this game because of how bad that Chargers run defense was. The Lions offense put up 8.3 yards per play, which is the sixth highest yards per play total in a game this season. Uh, The Chargers defense is just a mess. They allowed 533 yards of offense, 200 rushing yards at 6.5 yards per pop, and 333 passing yards at 10.1 yards per attempt. 
Brandon Staley's got to go. I've been beating that drum for over a year and a half. It is egregious how bad this defense is. And the Chargers are a loser organization, and they will continue to be a loser organization until Brandon Staley's gone. So uh, Ben Johnson on the other sideline, offensive coordinator, I think he's going to look great as the Chargers head coach next offseason. Why would he not want to go coach Justin Herbert? Or we'll get to this team in a few minutes, but the Buffalo Bills who just fired their offensive coordinator in a total scapegoat move. Ben Johnson's going to look good on the sidelines as the head coach of the Bills or the Chargers next season. You can write that down right now. Uh, for the Lions offense, uh, David Montgomery returned from injury and the duo of Montgomery and Gibbs, which sounds like an attorney's office, Montgomery and Gibbs, attorneys at law. They had a great day in the office. Gibbs ended with 14 carries for 77 yards and two touchdowns. David Montgomery had 116 yards on 12 carries for a touchdown, including a 75-yard touchdown run that was an electric run. The Lions are only a game back in the NFC. The Lions have an easier schedule remaining than the Eagles do. The Lions have every opportunity to go snag the one seed if they take care of business and they just trust the Eagles will lose a game or two in this brutal upcoming stretch where they face the Chiefs, the Bills, uh, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and then the Cowboys again. So Detroit needs to keep stacking wins and just hope that the Eagles falter and they could walk into January with the one seed. All right, let's go to another NFC contender. We're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, who uh, hosted the New York Giants in a laugher of a game. They win 49-17. to uh, Dallas had a turnover on downs and an interception on two of their first four possessions. The interception was returned to the 12-yard line, and the Giants still couldn't score. Uh, Brandon Cooks in this game had 173 receiving yards, which more than doubled his season total. And so they got Brandon Cooks going. CeeDee Lamb had a great game. Uh, he had 151 yards and a touchdown on 11 receptions. He is the first wide receiver to have 10-plus receptions, 150-plus receiving yards, one receiving touchdown, and one rushing touchdown in a game in NFL history. And so CeeDee Lamb has had great back-to-back -back games as Dallas outgained the Giants by 468 yards, which is the largest yardage differential in a game in the last 44 years. The, the, the Giants are just a disaster. Man. And at 2-8, and eight, every game the Giants... I said this last week. Every game the Giants win is a loss, and I don't know that there's going to be many more wins on their schedule. The Giants desperately need uh, to lose out so they can go get a quarterback. I mean, that's ultimately what it boils down to. Daniel Jones isn't it. Tyrod Taylor isn't it. They need to continue to start Tommy DeVito and lose games, as lame as that is for your franchise. They have two huge games coming up here. At Washington versus New England. If they can find ways to lose those games, they hit their bye week and they come back to Green Bay, New Orleans, Philadelphia, the Rams, and Philadelphia. And so... They really need to find a way to not win more than one more game this season, get themselves right in the midst of that Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, whoever your QB3 is race. They desperately need quarterback help moving forward. As for the Cowboys, the score looks good. I'm just not impressed. 
This is what the Cowboys do. Against teams with losing records this season, the Cowboys have a point differential of plus 141, and they're 6-1, and one, with obviously that loss to the Cardinals. Against teams with winning records, they have a point differential of minus 37, and they're 0-2. And so the Cowboys continue to be schoolyard bullies and beat up on bad teams, and yet you just can't help but feel that this Cowboys team is not clutch. And the Cowboys are at 6-3, and three, Obviously, they're two games back in the division. They are lacking the tiebreaker right now over the Eagles, and the Eagles have a tough stretch. The Cowboys have a pretty tough stretch, too. They get a couple easier ones here at Carolina and then versus Washington, but then they go Seattle, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and then they end the season at Washington. And so their schedule is every bit as difficult as the Eagles, and they're trying to dig themselves out of a hole in the race for the division and even for a shot at the one seed. So the Cowboys can't afford to drop any more games, and they're going to have to hope for some help moving forward. We've got a comment coming in here from Crabby Old Man on YouTube. Love the name. When Dak is rolling, when Dak is railing, he has the lowest QB rating. Oh, when he's trailing, he has the lowest QB rating in the league. When Hertz is trailing, he has the highest. Tells much of the story yet. I generally don't put a lot into like splits like that, but you can't deny that the Cowboys have come up small in clutch moments for so long. And at a certain point, like at a certain point in these close games, I think that the ball could bounce either way, but when the ball continues to bounce the same way, I can't help but feel like uh, the Cowboys are just an organization that's going to have trouble getting across the finish line. And so uh, I mean, they're obviously going to be in the playoffs. We'll see what they do in the playoffs. But until they do it against a good team, it doesn't impress me for you to win by 32 points against the Giants. Go beat the Bills, the Seahawks, that the Dolphins, that stretch at the end of the season. Go win some of those games, and I'm sure that they will, but go win some of those games convincingly. At the end of the day, they got railroaded by the 49ers. They played a back-and-forth game with the Eagles. They ultimately lost. Those are the teams you have to go through in the NFC. And I think getting the one seed in the NFC, obviously getting the bye is huge in the in any division, any conference. Getting the one seed in the NFC is huge because there are three legitimate contenders in the 49ers, Cowboys, and Eagles. Whoever gets the one seed not only gets a first-round bye, but they only have to play one of those teams, whereas the other team will have to knock off both contenders to get to the Super Bowl. And so the one seed is huge in the NFC, honestly, maybe more so than in the AFC where there are so many good teams. Uh, So we'll see how that shakes out over the rest of the season. Okay, moving on to close out the afternoon slate, we have the Washington Commanders at the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle wins this game 29-26. After getting the ball left tied with 52 seconds left in the game, They went 50 yards in seven plays. Geno Smith was four of five passing, 450 yards on that drive. They get in field goal range and they win the game. Uh, Sam Howell had a good game in this one going 29 of 44 for 312 yards and three touchdowns, including two fourth quarter touchdowns. You know, Howell is still good for some ugly mistakes every week, but he is playing really well overall. Uh, on the last month of the season and not just against the Eagles. The Eagles fans certainly know that Howell diced them up, uh, but he is playing well enough that maybe I'm not saying that he 
is or is not the guy of the future. It's probably more likely that he's not, but at a four win team and, and with the schedule, the commanders have left where they've got uh, some, some players or some teams that they could definitely beat. They may find themselves out of the QB sweepstakes and they're probably going to be replacing their head coach. I would imagine Eric Bieniemy gets a shot at that uh, job and maybe he wants to continue to work with Sam Howell. Maybe you bring in a new guy that wants his own quarterback, but they have games left against the Giants, the Jets, and really that's it. It's a pretty tough schedule. Dallas, Miami, the Rams, the 49ers, Dallas. Uh, but at presumably they beat the, Gi- the Giants, uh, although they didn't last time. Presumably they can beat either the Rams or the Jets. You're looking at like a six-win team. You could move up for a quarterback. It would take a lot. Maybe they give Sam Howell another year with the new head coach and they see what they can get going but Washington scored on each of their final five possessions in this game they dug a hole they tried to climb out of it Uh, they scored three touchdowns and two field goals but ultimately their defense gives up the gives up the game winning drive with 52 seconds left this game was yak city Uh, Seattle had 254 yards after the catch which is the most by a team this season Washington had the third highest total this season at 226. So there was a lot of yards after catch, a lot of space in these secondaries as receivers racked up yardage. Okay, let's go on to Sunday night football, uh, a game that we're only going to talk about because that's the thing this podcast does. We talk about every game because I could not be less interested in this game. The New York Jets at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders win 16 to 12. Linebacker Robert Spillane intercepted a Zach Wilson red zone pass to save the Raiders at the end of this game. And that capped a really good game. He had seven tackles, one interception, two sacks, and suddenly Antonio Pierce is 2-0 as a head coach. Josh McDaniels could never. Should have got rid of McDaniels a long time ago. Zach Wilson looked good at a lot of times throwing between the 20s. Uh, He threw for... 263 yards. He rushed for 54 yards, but they could not score. They've now gone 36 consecutive drives without a touchdown, which is the worst drought in the NFL. And Zach Wilson became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for back-to-back 250-yard games without scoring an offensive touchdown in either one. Uh, Devontae Adams accounted for 87% of the Raiders' total air yards in this game. He ended with 86 yards. Uh, but 87% of their total air yards, which is the highest, sixth highest share in the next-gen stats era, which dates back to 2016. So Aiden O'Connell knows where his bread is buttered, getting the ball to the best playmaker on that team, and ultimately they win the game to move to 5-5 and as the Jets drop to 4-5. and And then finally, we will wrap it up. Let's bring it home with the Denver Broncos at the Buffalo Bills last night's game. If you didn't watch this game because you thought it sounded like a bad game, man, did you miss out on a wild finish. Uh, Denver dominated time of possession. They had four takeaways, and yet they found themselves down late in the fourth quarter. And it led to a wild end-of-game sequence with a uh, the – they got the Russell Wilson under through a seam ball, got pass interference. It moves them down into field goal range. And then they started taking knees to run out the clock because you're so uncertain about Russell Wilson and about your rushing game. You don't even want to hand the ball off. 
taking knees, the Bills calling timeouts, and it ends with a sequence where they take a knee with 24 seconds left and then sprint the run, the field goal unit out to line up for the game-winning field goal, and they miss it. But well, hold on, there's a flag on the field because Buffalo had 12 men on the field. And so they moved the ball up five yards, and now settling in without a running clock, they get to queue up this field goal again, and this time they hit it to win the game. The Bills just can't get out of their way. James Cook fumbled on the first play of the game. Josh Allen threw a pick on the next possession, and it continued to snowball. Now, the, the Bills fired Ken Dorsey today, and I just think that's a terrible decision, if I'm being honest. Like, why, why is Ken Dorsey the scapegoat here? Is he the special teams coach that had 12 guys on the field? Because you win this game if you don't have 12 guys on the field. Last year, Sean McDermott fired Leslie Frazier fired we'll use air quotes because he left the team but he got fired reading between the lines so he fired leslie frazier to assume defensive play calling duties frazier's squad ranked second in dvoa last year this year with sean mcdermott calling the shots they ranked 21st in dvoa and 17th in epa now you're scapegoating ken dorsey who is second in dvoa his offenses and third in epa and Yes, there's more to football than DVA and EPA, but pick anything you want. Success rate, QBR, yards per play, third down rate, zone, red zone efficiency. They're top five in all of them. Where they're not, turnovers. Josh Allen leads the NFL in interceptions at 11 and turnovers at 14. James Cook fumbles in this game. What do you want Ken Dorsey to do? Call a play that isn't under the interception or isn't under the turnover heading on the play call sheet. Like that's a player thing. And this is the way that Josh Allen plays. And I just feel like things have snowballed in this organization. They were so close. They were 13 seconds away from beating the chiefs. And then obviously the chiefs get that miracle drive, kick the field goal. Josh Allen never touches the ball in overtime, that whole thing. And the organization has been reeling ever since last year. You have the DeMar Hamlin thing the the bills are being crushed under the weight of expectation and desperation. Zach will or Zach Wilson, Josh Allen is prone to making mistakes. He's prone to trying to play hero ball and trying to do too much. And this is snowballing. Honestly, I think the best thing for the bills, first of all, get rid of Sean McDermott, quit letting him scapegoat good play callers because they've lost a good DC and a good OC because of Sean McDermott's desire to save his own job, which kudos, keep the job, whatever, but a GM shouldn't allow that to happen. Sean McDermott needs to go. Ben Johnson, I mentioned him earlier, would be a great candidate to bring in. You just need somebody to come in that can reset the culture. They need to reset expectations. At this point, the Bills are missing the playoffs, right? They're 500, and they've got the fourth hardest schedule left remaining in the, in the NFL. It's going to be an uphill battle for them to get back into the playoffs. And even if they do, does that change this pressure that's on this organization? I just feel like you need a reset button. And they need to come into next season with new leadership, playing loose, playing free, having fun again. Josh Allen not carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's such a better quarterback when that happens. Um, the Bills have been unlucky in a lot of ways but they've allowed it to snowball. And a lot of that is a reflection on your, on ultimately your head coach. And I think that this is where Sean McDermott 
probably should be out uh, in Buffalo at the end of the season. You, he should be out now and they shouldn't have let him fire Ken Dorsey in my opinion, but that's enough about the bills. We'll see how they are able to bounce back. Uh, notably, you know, if you haven't looked at the bills schedule, they've got an interesting game coming up here because where we saw the whole thing start was on primetime Monday night football week one. Aaron Rodgers goes down on the opening drive and all you have to do is play mistake-free football and beat the Jets, right? And what did Josh Allen do? This was the first Josh Allen implosion game. Three interceptions, he fumbled twice. Well, next up is the New York Jets. And so Josh Allen's going to have to fight those demons. They need a win to get back on the right track here and try to make a push for the playoffs. As for Denver, Denver was one in five after six weeks, but now they are four and five, three consecutive wins over Green Bay, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Denver is in the playoff race. As crazy as that is, they're four and five. They're there. They have uh, Minnesota up next, and then Cleveland, and then Houston. So it's not an easy path, but if they can go on a run there, it is possible that they could get into the playoffs. I don't think it's likely, uh, but what we've seen over the last few weeks is more what I expected from Denver when Sean Payton came in and it was a slow start, uh, but maybe they're getting back on track or maybe it's just a fluke from a small sample size. I guess we will see moving forward. That's going to wrap it up here for episode number 130 of Chalk Talk. If you guys enjoy what you heard on the show and we know that you do, be sure you smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode Drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcasts. Comments, likes on YouTube, uh, reviews on Apple iTunes, all those things help us boost the algorithm and get this show out there to more people. And we really appreciate your help in doing that. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube. I'm at Shane Half NFL. Mark is at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. He will be back next week. Uh, hopefully my technology will stop being problematic next week and we can get back into a smooth routine here uh, moving forward. Sort of a mini buy here, I guess you could say, for Chalk Talk. Maybe we get that couple extra days rest and we come back with a new plan, a new game plan on the top of our game. So we will catch you guys next week on Chalk Talk.